Random House Audio presents Star Wars The New Jedi Order Force Heretic 1 Remnant by Sean Williams and Shane Dix Read for you by Jonathan Davis Saba Sebatine knew, the moment she emerged from hyperspace, that her homeworld, Barab-1, was burning. Smoke billowed high into the planet's atmosphere, as the surface below boiled in outrage at some recent violation. Wanting to suppress the dread welling up inside of her, wanting to deny what she was seeing, Saba banked her X-wing into a steep dive toward the surface so she could take a closer look. This couldn't be happening, she told herself. There had to be someone left alive down there, surely. But her monitors were empty. There were no ships in orbit, no transmission sources, no signs of life. This is Saba Sebatine, she spoke into the comm unit. If anyone can hear these broadcasts, please respond. Anyone. Silence was her only answer, scratched with static. She shook her flattened, leathery head, hoping in vain to lose the vision, the thought, the truth. So many worlds had fallen since the Yuzhan Vong had first invaded the galaxy, but not Barab-1. While a part of her had always known it was a possibility, she hadn't really imagined that it would ever actually happen here. She guided her X-wing through the upper reaches of the atmosphere the ship buffeted by the upthrust of hot gases rising from the smoking ruins of her homeworld. This swan should have been here, she whispered. It was a foolish notion, she knew. Even had she been here, she wouldn't have made any difference to the... All thoughts ceased. She saw them. Slipping around the limb of the planet... A small contingent of coral skippers, four in all, were breaking from low orbit where they had been out of her scanning range. They were escorting a ship, the likes of which she'd never seen before. A huge, vaguely ovoid mass, its movement slow as it labored against the pull of Barab-1's gravity. It reminded Saba of a bloated balloon ready to burst. Whatever the ship was... It and its escorts were all that remained in system of the attack fleet that had destroyed her world. Gritting her razor-sharp teeth, Saba veered off to intercept the coral skippers. Only when she was practically on top of them did the skips break formation, three of them peeling away to come about on an attack vector. It was too late for the skip closest to the balloon-like ship. She emptied a round of laser fire into it, crying out in rage as she did so. She didn't really expect such a crude attack to achieve anything, except to get their attention, so was surprised when the coral skipper exploded in a violent flash of crimson that flung shards of the craft far and wide. Two of the remaining skips were coming at her from behind, unleashing streams of molten plasma in her direction. She avoided the fate of her fellow barables by rolling her X-wing and skewing down and around her attackers. Some of the plasma reached its target, however, instantly depleting her shields. 
she pulled up sharply, rocking unsteadily in her cockpit as plasma balls flickered past. She barely had time to thank her droid for the heads up before the first two skips returned to make another pass at her. It was too much she knew. If she remained on the defensive like this, then sooner or later they were going to get her, and out in the open, she had no choice but to be defensive. With this in mind, she moved her X-Wing nearer to the larger Yuzhan Vong craft. Sweeping under the belly of the thing, confident that she was safe on at least one side, Saba gave pursuit to the skip whose buddy she had destroyed. When her target lock flashed, Saba loosed one of her torpedoes. The torpedo detonated on target, effectively downing the skip's defenses and allowing her to blast the rocky craft into oblivion with a hail of laser fire. Another warning from her droid. This time, she didn't even pause to check where the attack was coming from. She just rolled her X-Wing in toward the main ship. The surface of the thing seemed to move in strange and subtle undulations as she passed near it, almost like a sack filled with water, although at all times it remained as rough as the exterior of the coral skippers. She noticed something else, too. Huge tentacles that unfurled from the stern of the craft, flailing around as though reaching for Saba's ship. What is this? she said aloud, not really expecting a reply. She kept herself close in to the huge ship, veering constantly to avoid the writhing tentacles. She swung around the underside of the vessel when one of the skips came in too close and risked taking a couple of pot shots at her. She avoided the attack easily enough, and the plasma shot harmlessly into the space away from the balloon ship. The skips wouldn't fire if she stayed between them and their charge. What is it? she asked herself again. And why were the skips being so careful around it? She pitched the X-Wing again, jinking to avoid one of the tentacles, while at the same time spraying a cover of laser fire at one of the incoming skips. At that moment, the remaining other skip crested the top of the main craft, loosing a volley of plasmad. A tentacle whipped at her, snaking through the vacuum to strike. Instinctively, she pushed the nose of her ship down, leaving the coral skipper behind her to plunge broadside into the thick and unyielding appendage, effectively stripping half the craft's hull from nose to tail and causing it to spin out of control. Saba pursued it, pounding the damaged skip with laser fire, not stopping until it disintegrated into a ball of vapor. An exclamation of joy died in her throat when, a split second later, she saw the remaining skip abruptly emerge from the vapor cloud of its fallen comrade. The skip tried to lead her away from the main craft. She didn't mind anymore. With only the one skip remaining, she no longer felt the need to use the huge vessel as a shield. She chased the skip for several thousand kilometers out from the tentacled vessel, waiting for a decent shot. The skip opened up with its plasma cannons, filling the space in its wake with streams of molten plasma that rained down upon Saba's X-Wing. Her R2 unit whistled a warning. Her shields were totally depleted. It didn't matter. Saba had to stay on target until the opening came. When it did, she stutter-fired at the skip's Dovin basal and launched a single torpedo. A perfect shot, she knew. The instinct confirmed a moment later when the Dovin basal overloaded and the skip was left defenseless. 
The alien pilot attempted desperately to evade Saba's pursuit, but it was no use. She depressed the firing button of her laser guns and watched in satisfaction as the bolts made their way into the rear of the enemy craft, quickly tearing it apart with a blinding flash. She hissed savagely as she brought her X-Wing around to attack the remaining Yuzhan Vong vessel. It swelled before her like a hideous living moon, a target almost impossible to miss. She simply aimed and fired, releasing her three remaining torpedoes into the huge ship with grim satisfaction. They sank easily into the hide of the craft. Three detonations occurred in quick succession, deep within its belly. A rent appeared in its side, outgassing fire. The tentacles flailed crazily, as if in pain. For this one's home, she whispered. For this one's people. To Saba's surprise and disappointment, however, the ship didn't explode. Instead, the sack burst from top to bottom, stretching like a fruit left too long in the sun. From the tear poured a strange translucent gel followed by what appeared to be a thousand six-pointed stars. Stars? She relaxed her grip on the laser cannon trigger. There were thousands of them, tumbling into space, glinting in infrared starlight. She reduced speed, coming in cautiously for a better look. Her R2 unit plucked one star at random from the jumbled mass and brought it up on her display. A sickening sensation flowered in her gut, as she saw just what the points of the stars were. Two arms, two legs, a head, and a tail. Nothing of value. The thought rang in her mind as the horror of what had happened sank in. The Yuzhan Vong didn't value metals or jewels. Their biological sciences had no use for Barav One's usual bounty. They did, however, take captives, and they had to transport them somehow. My people. Saba watched helplessly as the ship continued to spill its contents into the cold vacuum of space. Her entire being shuddered to a grief that burned more intensely than the fires raging on the planet below. Her last thought, before tears obscured her vision, was a despairing, soul-tearing cry. What have I done? Three months later. I say we fight on. The voice echoed through the vast domed hall that was serving as a replacement for the Grand Convocation Chamber on Coruscant, where the Senate had previously met. With Coruscant currently in the hands of the Yuzhan Vong, Mon Calamari had been selected as a temporary capital and now played host to the representatives of the Galactic Alliance, a group much smaller than a full meeting of the Senate had once been before the Yuzhan Vong invasion, but still several hundred strong. They responded to the call to fight in the fashion preferred by their individual species. There were whistles, grunts, shrieks, and subsonic rumbles. Some waved appendages, others stamped their feet, and others still, Leia Organa Solo among them, remained silent. The speaker, a sour-faced Celestin by the name of Nyukniov, paced the floor with an energy that belied his size. We have them on the back foot, 
To ignore the opportunity we have been given would be like putting our collective head back on the chopping block. And who took it off the block in the first place? The call came from the far side of the chamber. Leia immediately recognized the voice as belonging to Thuv Shenev of the Tian Hegemony. Nyuk Niyav's face contorted into a fleshy snarl. That is irrelevant, he said irritably. Really? Shenev bellowed. I wouldn't have thought so. Too long have some among us treated the Jedi with contempt and suspicion. If we do have the chance now, finally, to force the Yuzhan Vong back, then we should at least acknowledge their opinions on the subject. If you think it necessary, then by all means, thank them, the Sullustan retaliated. I'm not saying they don't deserve that, but to do anything less than strike back at the Yuzhan Vong would be madness, no matter what the Jedi say. We must strike back hard, and we must do it now. A scattered cheer rose up among the senators. What if you're right? Leia identified Reliki Akla, daughter of Kamasi Senator Elagos Akla, who had been ritually murdered by the Yuzhan Vong's commander, Shido Shai, in the early days of the war. What if we can beat them? Then we win. Niyuk Niyav's big round eyes were bright with anticipated glory. But at what cost? Akla's fine golden down shivered with intense emotion. The Yuzhan Vong fight to the death, Senator. Admiral Akbar used this very fact against them at Ibak 9. I don't think you truly realize what this means. I realize, the Sullustan said, and I realize that it is not our responsibility. If the positions were reversed, they would undoubtedly do the same to us. I'm sorry. But my people cannot support such extermination under any circumstances, she said. And I respect your people's ethics, Niyuk Niyav replied. Turning from her to address the entire chamber, he continued. If there was an alternative, then I would consider it. But in the absence of any such alternative, I am not prepared to sit back with my neck out waiting for the Yuzhan Vong to bring an ampistaff down upon it. Another cheer rippled around the room. It's all very good for the pacifists to argue about compassion and restraint, but it is they who will benefit from the ultimate peace that we will bring about with our actions. Niyav faced Reliki Akla once again. We will crush the Yuzhan Vang, Niyak Niyav concluded to the Galactic Alliance representatives gathered, punching a fist into the air and we will send their remains back where they came from. The cheer was louder this time. Leia's fellow Alderanian, Chief of State, Cal Omas, said nothing. It would have been pointless at this stage, with the majority now so evidently behind Nyuk Niyab's sentiments. Finally, we are vindicated. In a room not far from the domed hall in which the senators met, a gathering of Jedi knights and masters looked similarly reduced in numbers, but was no less passionate. Jedi Master Luke Skywalker had called the meeting to discuss strategies for the coming stages of the war with the Yuzhan Vong. Waxer and Kel, the current speaker, paced in front of the gathering like a caged howl runner. Explain, Luke said. 
Kel looked up at him with a frown. Do I really need to? We've been slandered, hunted, and butchered from one side of the galaxy to the other. We became the scapegoat for everything the New Republic brought upon itself because of its complacency and inability to act. We told them things they didn't want to hear, and what was our reward? We were damned for it, that's what. But now we have been vindicated. The trap on the back nine and the defeat of the Yuzhan Vong have shown that we are a force to be reckoned with. Verger's sacrifice will not be in vain. I hadn't realized that our fight was with the survivors of the New Republic, said Kip Duran. I thought our battle was with the Yuzhan Vong. It is, Kel regarded Kip with some annoyance. The Yuzhan Vong are our enemy, not just of every peaceful citizen of the galaxy, but of the Jedi in particular. That's been the frustrating thing about this war. The New Republic has thwarted our every attempt to defend ourselves. I presume you have something in mind? Kip's expression was neutral. Of course, Kel said. We strike, and we strike hard. The Yuzhan Vong? Of course the Yuzhan Vong, Kel's eyes flashed anger. We must act to ensure that public opinion doesn't turn against us once again. How might it do that, Waxern? Luke asked. I fear it could happen all too easily, Master, Kel said, bowing slightly. Unless we act decisively to reaffirm our usefulness and goodwill, to prove beyond the slightest doubt that the war can only be won with our assistance, then we risk looking weak. Or worse, looking as if our loyalty to the Galactic Alliance is weak. Luke smiled sagely. Surely our loyalty is to peace. First and foremost, yes, Master, Kel put in quickly. But you have to be strong to protect peace from those who would destroy it. If we strike now, we can do the most damage. But if we wait too long, our enemies will have time to recover and... Do you believe that this is why we have survived as long as we have? Luke interrupted calmly. Because our enemies are weak? Did those of us who have fallen in battle do so because they were weak? Kel blinked as a look of uncertainty passed over his face. Master, I would never think that... Of course not, Luke continued smoothly. The Yuzhan Vong are a powerful species, and they have used our weaknesses against us just as we are learning to use theirs. No species is perfect, and no war is won purely by strength. There are many other factors that must be considered. Kel nodded, lowering his eyes. Yes, Master. Under my leadership, Luke said, we have seen special combat units trained and led by the Jedi making a decisive difference in battle. Yet, at the same time, I refuse to allow a Jedi to stand for political office. So do you think me weak? Master, that's not what... I have formed a new Jedi Council and placed non-Jedi upon it, Luke said. Is that the action of a weak individual? No, Master. Before Luke could speak again, he was interrupted by a low chuckle from Kip Duran. Yes, Kip? Master, I know you are weak. Duran bowed formally at the waist, but with respect, not sarcasm. As am I. His hand lightly swept around to indicate the room. As is everyone here. But I am proud of my weakness, for it makes me who I am. Forgetting one's weakness is a sure recipe for disaster.
Same meat, different bantha. Cal Oma snorted at Kenth Hamner's words. Although the Jedi physically towered over him, and he found the man's dour expression impenetrable, the Chief of State of the Galactic Alliance had developed quite a liking for Hamner in recent weeks. Unlike most politicians, Omas had an appreciation for straight talking. We didn't have Bantha and Alderaan. Cal glanced over his shoulder to Kent Hamner and said, But I do know what you mean. A murmur of assent rolled to the small group of people seated before him. Two hours had passed since the meetings of the Senate and the Jedi. Omas had called a select group of people together to discuss the outcomes of both meetings. Apart from Hamner, both Skywalkers were there, along with Leia Organa Solo, Reliki Akla, and Sin Sov, the Celestine Supreme Commander of the slowly reforming Galactic Alliance military. I called you here to ask for your help. He turned now to face everyone in the room. Because I have to tell you, I'm altogether sick of fighting. The Yuzhan Vong? Mara Jade Skywalker asked. She was sitting at the long, oval, transparasteel table, her husband standing beside her. Oma shrugged noncommittally. Should I take it then, Leia said, that you don't approve of the final push? You're asking a politician to buck the public's will? Omas laughed lightly, humorlessly, as he returned to his seat. The truth is, I wouldn't commit our forces to attack at the moment, whether I wanted to or not. We've made some small progress against the Yuzhan Vong, yes, and we seem to be holding our own at the moment. But if we overextend, we'll just be putting ourselves in their position. We need to consolidate first, then fight back. I trust Sian on this. Sian Sov nodded, his big black eyes blinking. Consolidation is the key. I'm not going to stick my neck out until I'm sure my vibro-axe is bigger than the Vong's. Discretion is the better part of valor, Mara said. Perhaps. If I had the forces at my disposal right now, maybe I would feel differently, Sov shrugged. Mara nodded. A push would be harder to argue against in that case. I understand. It becomes a moral argument then. If we do attack with intent to destroy, does that make us any better than the Yuzhan Vong themselves? There was silence around the table. Oma studied each of them in turn. Senator Akla was the only one displaying any clear emotion. The Kamasi's golden fur was practically bristling with agitation. Yes, Reliki? Omas knew what she was going to say before she had even opened her mouth. I hope to speak for all of us, she said, when I say that our ultimate objective is peace, not just an end to the war. Again, a murmur of agreement swept around the table. Only Princess Leia voiced dissent. Peace at any cost, she said, isn't peace. Mara was quick to back her up. At best, it would only be a temporary ceasefire. We need something more permanent to base this new galactic alliance on, apart from the defeat of an enemy, the princess went on as well as a solid infrastructure and guaranteed supplies, ships to replace those destroyed and open hyperspace lanes. We need security and order and... What we need, Sian Sov cut in, is Coruscant back. It's a symbol of our authority, and without it, everything we attempt is undermined. All valid points, 
Oma said, acknowledging his supreme commander with a curt nod. But I fear we're reaching for stars when we've barely managed to get out of the gutter. Keeping things together on a daily basis, let alone rebuilding what we've lost or fighting back, is my most pressing concern at the moment. The subspace networks and Holonet itself are a mess. The intelligence community was routed when Coruscant fell, just like the Senate. All we have in its place is a lot of fine effort, but nothing coordinated. There are at least six chains of command out there, all feeding through to different people by different means. They don't talk to each other. I'd be surprised if there aren't still more that won't talk to me. There are parts of this galaxy, as big as the core, that we haven't heard from for months. We don't know if this silence is self-imposed or due to infrastructure collapse. All we do know is that the communications we once took for granted have fallen into disrepair, along with everything else. And in the absence of communications, Luke put in, ferment breeds. Precisely, Oma said. It's pointless to win a war only to watch the Galactic Alliance fall apart around us afterward. Then what is it you want, exactly? Mara asked. I presume it has something to do with us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. I need a group of people committed to bringing things back together, Oma said passionately. A mobile task force, traveling from place to place, reconnecting the dots, if you like. Familiar, trustworthy faces, symbols of peace and prosperity, that kind of thing. I thought of Master Skywalker first, of course. And Leia, too. A New Republic presence will certainly help things along. That's Galactic Alliance now, Cal, Leia said. Yes, of course. That's going to take some getting used to. He paused to allow others to comment. When no one did, he said, Well, what do you think? Leia was the first to respond, nodding slowly and thoughtfully. In principle, I think it's a good idea, she said. And I'm sure Han will agree, too. Omas glanced at Luke and was surprised to see the Jedi Master frowning. Luke, Mara prompted also catching her husband's frown. This would solve only half the problem, Luke said. No matter how well we did our job, it would still leave the Yuzhan Vong. That's a problem that isn't going to go away, no matter how much you stifle the agitators. But what if I told you I could solve your military problem and the moral problem in one operation? I'd be interested, naturally, Oma said then lifted his thin shoulders and spread his arms in a supplicating gesture. But how? The Imperial Remnant, Sov said, answering for the Jedi Master. Luke looked at the Supreme Commander, nodding. The Empire. They turned us down, Leia said. Pelion said that he had no interest in joining forces. As far as they're concerned, they've been holding their own perfectly well against the Yuzhan Vong. And at that point, we weren't, Luke said. But now that we're starting to hit back, they might change their mind. You're proposing a diplomatic mission, Master Skywalker? To the Imperial Remnant, and to the Chiss, too, he replied. They're the ones who refined the toxin developed by Scar scientists, the Alpha Red bioweapon. That project is still hanging over us. We mustn't forget that. I thought the project was on hold. Akla said, the purple fur above her eyes ruffling slightly beneath the frown. On hold in military terms simply means that you're set on stun, 
the Supreme Commander said. The blaster, however, is still powered and aimed. Or it would be, given just a few more weeks' development time. Omas himself was deeply conflicted over the Chiss' plan to use biological warfare to defeat the Yuzhan Vong. Destroying the research, Sov said, would meet with the strongest resistance from some under my command. I cannot guarantee that they wouldn't take independent action to stop you. Luke nodded. I'm aware of that, Commander. That's why I wouldn't be going to the Chiss to propose or attempt such a move. I would only be extending the hand of peace. People will automatically assume a hidden agenda. Sov turned to Omas. If you're going to allow this, Cal, I'd advise that it be an informal mission. Unofficially sanctioned, top secret, hidden agenda, whatever you want to call it. The fewer people who know about it, the better. If it's not official, Omas said, I'm not sure how much support I could lend it. That's okay, Luke said. We'll have Jade Shadow in my X-Wing, and we might even be able to call in a few favors on top of that. The only support I really want is an assurance that you won't try to stop us, and that you'll hold the warmongers back while we're gone. That shouldn't be a problem, Oma said. It's a long way to travel, isn't it? Sov asked. I mean, I appreciate you going to such lengths to bring the Empire into the fold, but I'd have thought you'd be more needed here. Isn't there someone else you can send? Kenthir, for instance, would be perfectly competent. The Empire and the Chiss would respect his background. You make a good point, Sian. Luke briefly exchanged a look with Mara and Leia that Omas couldn't interpret. But those very same abilities you mention make him perfect for the job of keeping things calm here. Neither the Empire nor the Chiss will resolve the Yuzhan Vong problem alone, even in a military sense. To be honest, they are only secondary objectives. There's something else I need to do while I'm gone. Ah. Omas pushed himself forward as the missing piece slowly became clear. The Empire and the Chiss both lie in or near the unknown regions. A faint smile appeared at the edges of Luke's mouth. That's true. What is it you're looking for, Master Skywalker? If I told you, Cal, you wouldn't believe me. The moral solution to the war? Cal asked. Perhaps. An alternative, anyway. Luke raised a hand as Omas began to ask another question. The chief of state rested back into his chair again with a wry smile. I guess I can't force you to tell me. You've offered enough for me to give you my private assurance that I won't do anything to hinder your plans. Having the Empire and the Chiss aboard won't guarantee the security of the Galactic Alliance, but it'll help. If you think you can give me a long-term resolution to the war as well, then I shall do what I can to assist. The Jedi Master kept his expression carefully composed, but the way his wife touched his arm suggested that she was happy with the outcome of the meeting. Like her husband, though, her face revealed nothing. The Chief of State stood. Now... If you'll excuse me, I have a line of beings wanting to see me. We thank you for your time, Luke said, taking his wife's hand as she rose from the chair, as well as your cooperation. May the Force guide us all. To peace, Reliki Akla said, standing with the others. To peace, Omas echoed wholeheartedly as they filed out of the room.
He knew that only time would blunt the teeth of the Corellian Sand Panthers in the ranks of the Senate, the Defense Force, and the Jedi. Whatever Luke Skywalker had up his sleeve, Omas only hoped he could give him enough time to bring it into effect before those Sand Panthers gathered outside his office door, hungry for his blood. A living planet? Danny Kui's voice possessed a rising tone of incredulity. You're not talking about Sonama Seacott, are you? Good, Master Skywalker said. You've heard of it. I've also heard of the Ognadesh ship graveyards and the lost treasure of Borobarossa, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go halfway around the galaxy looking for them. Every astronomer who's worked the Outer Rim knows about Sonama Seacott. They know it doesn't exist, for starters. Saba Sabatine tensed. In barable society, expressing doubts over a superior's decision in such an open manner would certainly result in a challenge, and a challenge meant a blood fight. I understand your reaction, Luke smiled patiently. It's not the first time I've gotten this response, believe me. If you allow me to explain my reasons, though, I'm sure you'll come around. Jedi Master Luke Skywalker's explanation sent tingles of excitement through Saba's joy-starved brain. A living world? Her tail coiled and uncoiled reflexively from the excitement such a notion stirred. The Master's office was not ostentatious. It contained a plain desk and three chairs suitable for people of various species. Occupying those chairs were Saba, Danny, and the healer, Master Silgal. Are you sure it's safe? Silgal asked. Look at it this way, Luke said. If we stay here on Mon Cal, we're at ground zero for Yuzhan Vong retaliation. We're also prime targets for Peace Brigade action. I doubt there will be anything as dangerous as either of those possibilities in the unknown regions. With all due respect, Master Skywalker, we don't know what's in there. That's why it's called Unknown. Danny Kui would know, Saba assumed. The human scientist had started life as an astronomer and only by circumstance moved into specializing in the enemy's works. Exactly, Luke said, acknowledging the point with a patient nod. But this is an exploratory mission, not a military one. We're not going to pick fights. You'll try to stop them if you find them, though. That is the nature of the job, Luke smiled. Will you come? Danny shrugged in a way that implied she was helpless to make him see reason. Of course, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And you, Master Silgal, have you decided? I have, Master Skywalker. The healer stood, bowing her head. I am needed here. There is too much work for me to do, too many people to teach in the ways we have lost. I understand, Luke said smoothly although I am sorry we won't have you with us. I recommend my apprentice, Tekli, to go in my place. Thank you, Silgal. We would be delighted to have her aboard. With Danny, Mara, myself, and Jason, our compliment is almost complete. What about you, Hisser? Danny asked. Will you come? It would be an honor to accompany you on any mission, Saba said. But it would be better if you found someone else. Someone whose judgment has not proven to be so poor. It's not your fault, Danny began. Their deaths were from this one's hands. 
Saba shook her head solemnly. Their memory is this one's accuser. This one failed to feel the people trapped in that slave ship because of anger and hatred, blinded by dark emotions. If this one had shown more control, they might still be alive today. That's true, Luke said. And they might be slaves of the Yuzhan Vong, too. Or food. Wishing that things were otherwise does nothing to erase memories. This one appreciates what you are trying to do, she said with quiet regret, turning to face him. But I cannot. We're not asking you to come out of sympathy, Saba. We, I, am asking you to come because you are a Jedi Knight and we need your help. He watched her, gauging her reaction. Do you really want me to order you along? The thick black plates covering her body stiffened. I would not like to fail you, Master. If I fail again, my people fail with me. So don't fail, Saba. Luke smiled. Think of it as a hunt. One last hunt for the honor of your people. How better could they be remembered? That thought caught her. What Master Skywalker was proposing wasn't a battle in which victory meant instant death for one side. The quest to find Sonama Seacott would be played out over weeks, maybe months, through dangerous and uncharted territories. There would be clues to discover, trails to follow, traps to unravel. They would have to be stealthy, keen-sensed, and quick-witted. Who knew where it would lead them, or what they might find at the end of it? Her tail thumped the floor. She was a hunter, the end result of generations of breeding and a lifetime of instincts. If anyone could hunt a living planet, it would be her. How better could they be remembered? If you've no further objections, Master Skywalker said, I'd call that settled. You'll come with us on the hunt for Sonama Seacott. Saba vacillated for a few seconds longer, then acquiesced with a nod. This one will come, she said. This is going to change everything, Jason Solo thought, as he stood beneath Jade Shadow's tapered nose, watching from off to one side as his friends and family made their farewells to one another. This is the beginning of something new. Just about everyone was there. His mother had come, shadowed once again by her Nogri bodyguards, Kakmame and Miwal. Han clapped Luke on the shoulder and advised him to keep out of trouble. The well-meant hypocrisy provoked a light smile from the Jedi Master, who nodded and wrapped his old friend's hand in both of his and shook firmly. Jag Fell helped load the last of the supplies into the transport. Danny Kui was running late and had sent some equipment down ahead of her on a repulsor platform. Silgal's apprentice, Tekli, had already loaded supplies the healer had insisted they might need on their long journey. Luckily, the giant reptilian Jedi, Saba Sebatine, had brought less than half her allocation, creating extra space. Like Jason, the stoic Barabel stood away from the others, her small eyes blinking while her tail twitched restlessly about her feet. Perhaps she senses it too, he thought. After all, those of us leaving on Jade Shadow could be gone for months. Who knows what we'll be returning to, or what we'll even be bringing back with us. Communications with the unknown regions were notoriously unreliable, 
routed through just one long-distance transceiver on the edge of known space. Jaina noticed him standing to one side and came to join him. What's wrong, brother? Having second thoughts about going? Not at all, he replied, forcing a smile. Just a little overwhelmed, I guess. I hope you find what you're looking for. I'm sure we will, Jason said. All available data suggests that the unknown regions are where I meant in your heart, Jason. I won't come back until I do. Is that a promise? she asked, or a prophecy. Perhaps it's a little of both. She embraced him then, tightly and warmly. Just make sure you do come back, okay? She whispered close to his ear. She winked at him as she pulled away, and before he could say anything more, the space she had just vacated was suddenly filled with other people wishing him well and bidding him goodbye. Jag Fell shook his hand with a definite air of reassurance. Jason forestalled his father's usual gruff attempts at farewells by cutting off whatever he'd been about to say and simply giving him a hug. His mother hugged Jason, too. She didn't offer any words, though. She didn't need to. The emotion in her eyes spoke volumes. Others appeared before him, taking his hand, patting his back, and speaking animatedly. The air was almost crackling with the Force as so many emotional Jedi clustered around him. He would miss the ones who would remain behind, but he wouldn't grieve, no more than he would for Vergere. Even now, so many weeks after she died, he could still hear her voice in his mind as clearly as though she was one of those standing right there beside him. You have always been alone, Jason Solo, even in the midst of your family and your friends, even when you touched the Force. You have always been set apart, distanced, separated and alone, through no choice or action of your own. He hadn't understood everything his teacher had said to him, and suspected he would be picking at the meaning of her words for many years to come, if not the rest of his life. Vergere had been a creature of contradictions, a pet of the Yuzhan Vong at one moment, an ancient Jedi Knight in another. At that moment, Danny Kui bustled into the bay, her shoulders laden with bags. So, this is it, Danny said, her eyes bright, her curly blonde hair standing in a nimbus around her head. We're really going? We're really going, Luke said. Mara went aboard Jade Shadow to prime up the yacht's systems. Saba and Tekli followed. The sound of mechanical systems whirring into life gave the farewells a new urgency. The Solo Skywalker clan gathered for one last moment while the others moved aboard. May the Force be with us all, Luke said after a moment. It always is, Jason said automatically, paraphrasing another of Vergere's teachings. The Force is everything, and everything is the Force. The only uncertainty lies in ourselves. Then it was time to go. Everything was loaded and everyone was there. There was no point delaying any longer. As R2-D2 glided ahead of him up the ramp into Jade Shadow's belly, Jason felt the premonition rush through him once more. It prompted him to halt momentarily and cast a quick glance back to his parents and sister. What if I'm wrong about Sonama Seacott? He wondered anxiously. What if this grand quest is nothing more than an elaborate means of running away from conflict? What if I misunderstood Vergere completely? 
She had said that Sonama Seacant was a world unlike any other in the galaxy. The people who lived there had a reputation for building starships. But not just any starships. These were without equal. Starships that could outperform anything built even today. Vergere was sent by the Jedi Council on a mission to find the shipbuilders, even though there were those who thought the planet little more than a myth. She was successful. She found the planet and its inhabitants. She saw the marvelous starships in operation and many other things, the likes of which no one had ever dreamed possible. It had jungles and vast forests, but they were not shunted aside or eaten away in the name of industry. This was a world in balance. Vergere fell in love with the place, rejoicing in its jungles, its many forms of life, the way it seemed to her to be a living hymn to the Force. But she failed to guess the truth underlying what she saw, at first anyway, even though it had been under her nose right from the beginning. The thing about those starships made on the planet, the thing that made them really special, is that they were alive. They lived and breathed and died just like any other being. They were alive like you and me, like any living thing. And so was the planet that made them. Even if Jason had understood Vergere perfectly and was doing exactly the right thing for the moment, it still wouldn't be easy. As she had said, no lesson is truly learned until it is purchased with pain. The lesson the Galactic Alliance had to learn was a difficult one, and he was in no doubt that the people most likely to bear the cost would be those on Jade Shadow. Jason offered a brief wave and then continued into the maw of the ship. At the top of the ramp, he saw Danny standing there, waiting for him. Her smile did little to hide her own anxieties. There's nothing to be nervous about, Danny, he said, looking calmly and evenly into her eyes. Everything is going to work out just fine. Really? she said, shucking the larger of her bags. Well, either you know something I don't, Jason Solo, or you're one of the best liars I've ever met. The moment Jade Shadow dropped out of hyperspace near Bastion, capital of the Imperial Remnant, Saba Sebatine knew something was wrong. Her mind rang with the distinctive and unsettling harmonics of life extinguished in great amounts. But it was more than that. This was the absence of life itself, as though chunks of the vital universe had been hollowed out deeper than vacuum. She roared. At the same time, Mara announced, Yuzhan Vong! Where? Luke asked from the co-pilot seat. Everywhere! Mara's hands played across the controls. Hold on, everybody. This could get rough. The ship lurched violently. Saba didn't need view screens to tell her that they'd been seen by the enemy. The empty points that were the Yuzhan Vong and their strange living vessels spun around her like pollen in a miniature hurricane. Jade Shadow danced among them, weaving in and out of confrontations, desperately trying to shake off any enemy craft they picked up on their trail. Saba's blunted claws left great dents in the fabric of the navigator's chair she occupied. She wasn't aware of the low rumbling coming from her throat until Jason Solo braved the shaking deck to come and crouch down next to her. Do you feel it, Saba? he asked. I feel... Her teeth clenched tight as another wave of death rolled over her. Bastion was being pummeled by the Yuzhan Vong. 
Lives were being extinguished by the millions. She didn't have words. I'm sensing life here, Jason said, but in great disarray. Saba agreed. She could sense the life energy scattered around the system. Some on the planet, panicked, trying to escape the invaders. Some in orbit, pulling back before an overwhelming invasion. And several other clusters throughout the system where forces were attempting to regroup. I can make out at least fifteen capital ships, Mara shouted from her position at the controls. Big ones, too. It looks to me like they're pulling out, Luke said. Falling back to regroup elsewhere. Look. One finger stabbed at a screen. They're civilian ships. They've evacuated Bastion. There was a moment of tense silence as the significance of that statement sunk in. To evacuate Bastion, the Empire must have been hit hard. The ships flooding in waves from Bastion were getting out under cover of the planetary shields. It looked like they would hold long enough to save much of the population. That portion of the battle was already decided. Saba sent her mind out across the system to where lifelights clustered in smaller groups. The largest, she guessed, contained the equivalent of two star destroyers as well as a number of support vessels. Saba focused on the view screens before her, trying to match what she'd seen against the coordinates in the real world. There, she growled, pointing with a thick finger. That section there. And you must be quick. They're in trouble. Jason stood and stepped over to his aunt to relay the information. Saba shut her eyes as Jade's shadow leapt forward, ducking and weaving. Just another planet attacked by the Yuzhan Vong, she told herself. Hunt the moment. A small furred hand grabbed Saba's scaly wrist. Opening her eyes again, she saw that Tekli now occupied the space that Jason had just vacated. The screen was filled with a bloated orange-yellow gas giant. Numerous rings and moons crowded around it as if for safety. Many already showed signs of disruption, as warring fleets plowed past or sometimes even directly into them. Far below, through the dense atmosphere, Saba felt alarm spreading through a colony of balloon-like life forms. Similar to the giant belldones of Bespin, they were too primitive to understand the meaning of the disturbances taking place in the sky. Jade Shadow came around the planet as though intending to ram the remains of the Imperial fleet, trailing two determined coral skippers. As Mara neared the two star destroyers that Saba had sensed, she performed a deft gravitational whip around one of the gas giant's larger moons. The coral skippers followed, tugging at Jade Shadow's shields with their Dovin basils. Plasma fire peppered at their rear, until, when Jade Shadow's vector had matched that of the Imperial fleet and it was in full view of the Star Destroyers, Mara stutter fired to distract them, then used the force to drop two shadow bombs under their guard. The coral skippers blossomed into energy. Once the afterwash of the explosion had passed, Jade Shadow slowed and leveled out. This is Mara Jade Skywalker, captain of the Galactic Alliance transport Jade Shadow, hailing Imperial Star Destroyer Shimmera. Are you receiving me, Shimmera? The subspace receiver cracked before a reply came in. You're a long way from home, Captain Skywalker. Just thought we'd drop in to see how you guys were doing, she said sardonically. And from the looks of things, I'm guessing not so good. Your timing could be better. The comm operator sounded weary. 
I don't suppose you brought a fleet with you? I'm afraid not, Shimura. But you could do worse than concentrating your fire on that cruiser lurking at the back. It's holding a Yamask. Take it out, and you might find your luck changing. A Yamask? How could you possibly know that? Ask questions later when you know I'm right. Understood, Captain Skywalker. Passing on the information now. I need to speak to Grand Admiral Pelion. Patching you through to the bridge now, Captain Skywalker. The line went dead, and barely seconds later, a squadron of TIE fighters left the launching bays of Shimura, angling away from the gas giant below to target the Yamask-bearing cruiser. If you've come to say I told you so, Skywalker, that I'm not interested, the Grand Admiral announced curtly. This isn't the time for... I'm not known for gloating, Galad, Luke said, leaning past Mara to speak into the calm. No more than you are for giving up. Both Skywalkers. To what do we owe this honor? Call it destiny or good luck. Either way, your forces are taking a pounding. Can you tell us what went wrong? Considering the size of your home fleet, I would have thought you'd be able to hold your own. They took us by surprise, the Grand Admiral said irritably. We were holding our own to begin with. Then the Vong pulled back. We thought we had them on the run, but they were just getting out of the way. Mara nodded in understanding. Grutchins? Thousands of them. We've been on the back foot ever since. Admiral, Master Skywalker said. The offer to join forces is still open. Your sister was up here a while back, trying to sell us on that idea. I thought the Moffs made it quite clear then that your help wasn't required. And where are the Moffs now, Galad? Saba noticed Pelion's hesitation. He may have been a commander with pride, but he was also smart enough to acknowledge when he needed help, no matter how much it hurt to do so. Okay, Skywalker, the Grand Admiral said after a moment. We'll discuss this later, if there is a later. I understand you've given us some telemetry that might shift the balance here. If that works, we'll regroup with the rest of the fleet at Yaga Minor. If you beat us there, look for Captain Arian Yage of the frigate Widowmaker. She used to serve with me on the Shimmera. If she survived Bastion, she'll listen to you. Understood. Mara and Luke exchanged glances. Good luck. The Grand Admiral closed the line. For a moment, no one on Jade Shadow spoke. It was Jason who finally stated the obvious. It had to happen, he said. We knew it was inevitable, even if they didn't want to admit it. That doesn't make it any easier to watch. Luke's voice was slightly reproving. I wish there was something we could do, Techly muttered. Unless it's likely to create a fleet out of thin air, you're better off not wishing, Mara said, glancing back at Techly briefly. They had their chance to join with us, and they didn't take it. I'll bet the Yuzhan Vong left them alone, knowing the Imperials would never join in. Not until provoked, anyway. When their spies said they had just enough time to get over Ithor to relax the defenses, the Vong hit them with everything they could spare. It's what I would have done in their shoes. Flatten the Empire with whatever resources they could get this far out, and get rid of a niggling irritant. Then put those resources back into the real battle elsewhere. Do it quickly enough, and those forces won't be missed. If the Empire survives, it may prove to be more than just an irritant, Luke said. What's the name of that other Star Destroyer? Do you recognize it? It's pretty banged up, Mara said, but I think it's the Superior. 
The Yuzhan Vong aren't going to let them wander around here forever. Your guess at how much longer they can last is as good as mine, Luke. Pallion can probably handle this lot, if they take out the Yamask, but anything tougher will turn him into metal rain for that moon over there. And us with him if we stick around. Master Skywalker was clearly unhappy about the decision he was being forced to make. On the one hand, Saba guessed, he wanted to stay and add the Jade Shadow to the Imperial forces withdrawing from Bastion. On the other, he had the mission itself to think of, the hunt for Sonama Seacott. Being destroyed in a battle wouldn't solve anything. We'll meet them at Yaga Minor, Master Luke said, sighing heavily. Can you get us safely out of the giant's gravity well? Mara responded unhesitatingly. Of course. I can outfly the Scarheads with my eyes closed. Jason took the navigator's seat in Jade Shadow's cockpit when they emerged from hyperspace a discreet distance from Yaga Minor. When Jade Shadow arrived, the remains of the fleet stationed around the Imperial capital and its neighbor, Munilinst, were slowly coming into orbit around Yaga Minor, disheartened by the retreat, but determined to fight back. The first of the survivors docked their ships alongside the Golan Three defense platforms orbiting the planet, while those needing repairs headed for the yards. Jade Shadow's long-range sensors detected three Star Destroyers arriving from Bastion, neither of them Shimmera or Superior. Jason waited anxiously for any sign of Gilad Pelion. If the Grand Admiral didn't survive the Battle of Bastion, Jason didn't fancy their chances of bringing around the Imperials. Pelion had so often been the voice of reason in the proud isolationist state. If anyone was going to convince the Moths to join the Galactic Alliance, it was going to have to be him. How long do we wait for him to appear? Danny asked Jason quietly from behind, not wanting to startle him. To be honest, he said, I don't know. What I do know, though, is that Galad Pelion is a survivor. If he can get out of there, he will. Proximity alarms bleeped, and Jason turned his attention to his aunt's voice as she explained who they were to a squadron of TIE fighters that had noticed Jade Shadow lurking in the planet's outer orbits. But there was none of the usual Imperial hostility in the squadron leader's voice, as he was expecting. If anything, the pilot seemed relieved that Jade Shadow wasn't an advanced vessel from the Yuzhan Vong, scoping out Yaga Minor for the next wave. My enemy's enemy is my friend, Jason reminded himself. If Galad Pelion didn't make it, then at least they would have that going in their favor. His relief was short-lived, however, when another call came over the subspace band. Unauthorized vehicle identifying itself as Jade Shadow, said the deep guttural voice through the comm unit. Please respond. This is Jade Shadow, Mara replied. What is it now? You are required to state your intentions and prepare to be boarded. What? We're on a peaceful mission. That remains to be seen. Do as you're told immediately or your engines will be disabled. I'd like to see you try, Mara snarled. Who am I talking to? Which idiot sent you? I am Commander Keaton, and I represent Moff Flennick of Yaga Minor. You are violating Imperial space and will be fired upon if you do not obey its regulations. Now this was more what Jason had come to expect of the Imperials. 
He moved back through to the cockpit to find Luke and Mara conferring over how to respond to the commander's demands. What do you want to do? Luke was saying. Mara looked uncertain. I don't know. I need time to think. Time we don't have, my love, Luke said. Please respond immediately, the commander said shortly, or we will be forced to take action. A smile touched Mara's lips as an idea sprang to mind. Into the comm unit, she said, We see your point, Commander. Our passenger space is limited, and we'd be pleased to welcome you aboard. When you see for your own eyes that... Keaton cut her off with a chuckle. <laughs> you don't honestly think that I'd be the one coming aboard, do you? I'd sooner stick my head in a drive tube than take my chances with your Jedi mind tricks. No, the boarding party will consist solely of Mark V security droids. Mara cursed under her breath. Well, there goes that idea. You can hardly blame him for being suspicious, Jason said. You were intending to use those Jedi mind tricks after all. The communicator bleeped. Another transport was edging closer. This is Captain Yage of Widowmaker, a woman's voice said over the comm. Commander Keaton, you may stand down. I shall be boarding this vessel myself, seeing as you will not. But, Captain... Yage cut him off sharply. May I remind you, Commander, that right here and now I outrank you. I am ordering you to stand down, and I expect you to comply without debate. There was a long pause before Keaton finally came back with, I shall submit to your authority, Captain, but I would like it to go on record that I do so under protest. Duly noted, Commander, Yage said. Yage out. The armed transport and its contingent of fighters accelerated to a lower orbit, leaving Jade Shadow to face the new arrival. Requesting permission to dock, Jade Shadow, Captain Yage said over the comm. The same Captain Yage Pelion told us to look out for, Luke reminded Mara. That's not the highest recommendation, Mara said, but it will have to do. Speaking into the communicator, she said, Feel free to match velocities and extend your umbilical, Captain. Welcome aboard. Jason went back through the ship to ready the airlock. As he passed through the passenger bay, he was met by Danny coming the other way. Is everything okay? She asked quickly as he passed. Better than it could have been, he said. I'm just going to greet the locals now. He hesitated at the entrance to the main corridor, looking back at the scientist. So far throughout the trip, Danny hadn't really had a chance to contribute in any way. He couldn't blame her for looking and sounding so anxious. I don't suppose you'd like to join me, would you? He asked. Her worried expression dissolved into a grateful smile as she followed him out of the passenger bay, obviously pleased to be finally doing something. When they reached the airlock, Jason double-checked that his lightsaber was at his side just in case this Captain Yage was not as reliable as Pelion had suggested she would be. From the corner of his eye, he caught Danny watching him. He faced her fully when he saw the apprehension on her face. Are you okay? he asked. She shook her head. Why do I keep allowing myself to get talked into these things, Jason? He frowned, confused. I didn't think I talked you into anything, he said. I just thought you might like to come along and greet... No, not here, she said. Here, on this mission. Jason nodded, understanding the core of her reservations. 
The locals can't be that bad, can they? She shrugged. I've never actually met Imperials before, but I do remember the stories my parents used to tell me. She paused, her eyes flitting nervously from the airlock to Jason. They can't all be monsters, can they? No, they're human, Danny, just like us. He leaned against the bulkhead next to her, enjoying the momentary quiet the two of them had been granted. You know, I wonder sometimes what it'll be like when the war is over. What do you suppose we'll do when we're not being asked to do stuff like this? You'll do what Jedi Knights seem to do best, she said. He studied her for a second. Which is? Get into trouble, of course, she said. Despite her nervousness, she forced a smile. He smiled in return, glad that her mood had lightened. I'd just as happily settle for a quiet life somewhere. There's a lot left to think about. A lifetime or two's worth, in fact. It could get lonely. It could indeed. He thought it nothing more than a flip comment until his gaze met hers. Suddenly, he found it hard to look away. Jason? Mara's voice from his comm link snapped him out of it. Yeah, he said straightening. I'm here. Ten seconds. A moment later, a dull thud echoed through the hull as the Imperial transport sealed an umbilical to attach the two craft. Less than a minute later, Jason heard a gentle hiss as the airlock broke its seal and swung open. He glanced at Danny. Her face was set in a determined mask, with no sign of the vulnerability he had sensed a moment before. But she tensed noticeably as three people in Imperial uniform stepped through the airlock. The one in the lead, a solidly built woman in her forties, with black hair bound tightly into a bun, Jason assumed to be Captain Yage, with the two male officers following close behind, their blaster rifles at the ready, her bodyguards. "'Welcome aboard Jade Shadow,' Jason said pleasantly, stepping forward. He introduced himself and Danny, keeping his hands respectfully behind his back at all times. "'We'd like to thank you for your assistance back there.' "'Not at all.' the captain said. I have never been fond of time-wasting bureaucracy, particularly from the likes of officious idiots like Keaton. Jason waved the guests through to the common area, where Mara and Luke stood ready to greet them. Off to one side stood Saba and Tekli. So, at last I meet the legendary Skywalkers, the captain said, stepping forward to shake their hands. I've certainly heard a lot about you. All untrue, I'm sure, Mara said pleasantly. I hope not. Gilad speaks very highly of you both. I don't suppose you've heard of Grand Admiral Pelly and his return from Bastion, Luke said. A shadow seemed to pass across Captain Yeager's face. I'm afraid that fleet intelligence is in disarray, following the Yuzhan Vong's attack. Have you learned anything more about how the enemy managed to do so much damage so quickly? I already know why. We were taken disgracefully off guard by the attack. Our spies had reported that the fleet approaching us was headed for Nirawin, not here at all. But I guess our spies weren't as reliable as we'd thought. Even so, we should have been ready. Anyone with half a brain should have seen the flaw in the reasoning that if we hadn't been attacked yet, we were unlikely to be attacked at all. Perhaps now the moths will see reason, Jason added. Yage half turned to look at him. You think so? You've already seen what Moff Flennick thinks of you. He might try to resist the Yuzhan Vong, but he'll never join the people who took the Empire away from him. That's why you're here, isn't it? To try again to get us to join you. 
Ideally, Luke said, we'd like the Empire to become part of the Galactic Alliance. But that's one for our respective legal representatives to argue out. For now, we'd simply like us to agree to help each other before we continue on with, we can fight well enough without your help, Yage quickly pointed out. We're ready for them now. You won't get far using your existing techniques, Mara said. Our greatest minds have been working on a way to counterattack using the Yamasks that make the Yuzhan Vong so hard to beat. We can give you those techniques. In exchange for what? The captain interrupted, a slight suspicion gently curling the corners of her mouth. Absolutely nothing, Luke said. I'm not a diplomat, Captain. I'm a Jedi. I stand for life and peace, and I would never hold anything back for the sake of political point scoring. I'd rather get about the business of saving lives. What you do with this information is up to you. To be honest, Skywalker, if it was up to me, I'd use it quite happily, she said. But things will be grim without Gilad to champion your cause. Her voice was steeped in bitterness. The last refugees from Bastion arrived some time ago. We're not expecting any more. If Gilad had survived, I'm sure he would have been here by now. The mood in Jade's shadow turned instantly grim. Then we shall need to make alternative plans, Luke said. We'll need to talk to Flennick, even if he's not prepared to listen to us. Can you get us to him without turning us over to the likes of Keaton? She pursed her lips thoughtfully. I can try. With Galad out of the way, the anti-galactic alliance forces will be in ascendance. Add to that... She stopped as her comlink buzzed. Excuse me. Captain Yage turned away to take the call, exchanging a few simple words with the person on the other end. Before she had finished talking... Before he had even seen her face, Jason had a bad feeling. What's gone wrong? he asked, when she clipped the comlink back on her belt. That was my second in command on Widowmaker, she said. A shuttle just made it from Bastion, containing injured ferried from Shimmera. Her troubled eyes met Luke's. Galad was on board. That's good news, isn't it? Jason said. She shook her head. Not really, she said. He's in a coma and he's not expected to live.